this travel, you've got people, start to, these areas start to become melting pots. All right. Now, Colossae was in a melting pot area. It was in the Lycus Valley. The Lycus River was a tributary of the Meander River. You ever heard of the word meandering? Like going wandering? It comes from the Meander River because the Meander River did a whole lot of this. And it didn't go real, it didn't go real straight. And off of the Meander River was the Lycus River. And on the Lycus River Valley, there were three major cities. And Colossae was really the smallest of those three. The other two are Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now, Paul didn't plant a church in any of these cities. Paul traveled a lot, planted a lot of churches, but while he, most likely while he was in Ephesus, a guy named Epaphras came and heard the gospel preached by Paul. And so Epaphras is from Colossae. And so he comes and he hear, he's in Ephesus probably doing trade because Colossae was known for its wool. They had this real dark wool that they would trade, and that's what they were known for. It actually even became called the Colossian color, the, the color that they would dye the wool. They had these hot springs there that were, that were thought to be healing and, uh, and have minerals in them. And, and so a lot of people would travel to Colossae to go to the hot springs and bathe and, and heal their ailments. And, and so most likely Epaphras was traveling from Colossae to Ephesus, and while he was in Ephesus trading wool, he went to some sort of great Tony Nolan crusade where the Apostle Paul crusade, where Apostle Paul preached the gospel. Epaphras heard the gospel, responded in faith, went back and planted a church in Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis. He planted a church in all three of them. And so Paul is his hero, right? Paul is his man, but where is Paul when he writes this? Paul is in prison. And so Epaphras travels from Colossae to go visit Paul in prison, and he tells Paul, man, so a lot of good things happening in Colossae. A lot of good things happening, but here's some things we're struggling with. We're struggling with syncretism. Now, he probably didn't use the word syncretism, but he said we're struggling with syncretism. We're struggling with the fact that some Christians in Colossae are now starting to mix in either old Jewish rituals or Gnostic, uh, which is Gnostic is a whole other thing based off of knowledge, uh, Gnostic beliefs. And so they're starting to mix these Gnostic beliefs and these Jewish beliefs and these other beliefs into Christianity. And it's starting just to get a little confusing for everybody, Paul. And I don't know what to do. And so uh, Epaphras stays with Paul for a little while. And Paul mentors him and talks to him and teaches him a little bit. But he writes this letter and he sends it back, not with Epaphras, because Epaphras stays for a little while. He sends it back with a guy named Tychicus. Everybody say Tychicus. It's just a fun name to say, isn't it? Now, you only see Tychicus a few times in Scripture, and so we'll talk about him more at the end of Colossians. And I'm excited. I love his story. We'll talk more about that. But Tychicus and another guy named uh, Philemon, uh, or, or uh, and not Philemon, uh, Onesimus. And, uh, and so we had, we had that issue, or no, it would have been Philemon with him. But, uh, so those, those got wrote, written together while he was in jail, and he was mentoring Epaphras. Uh, so he sends this letter back to Colossae, and what, what Paul is addressing here is two major things. Is one, Rome is not your savior. Jesus is. Two, these mixing these Gnostic beliefs and these other Jewish mystical beliefs and all these other things into Christianity, it doesn't work. And, and so we're going to get into a part this week and next week where he basically says Jesus is better. Jesus is above all, 
and he doesn't need any additions. We've said it in here several times before. We don't have to do anything to make Jesus look better than he already is, do we? And Jesus is so awesome and amazing and mind-blowing. Already, we don't have to dress him up. We don't have to add anything to him and pretend like he's something that he's not. We just need to see him for who he really is. So this is what Paul is addressing with Epaphras. All right, so let's di- that's, that's a little bit of history there. Let's dive into the scripture. Let's look at the greeting, verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. A couple things. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, not by the will of man. Paul is setting up his credentials here because he's never been to Colossae. These people have heard of him, but they have never met him, most of them. There's very few in Colossae that have met Paul, obviously Epaphras being one of them. Uh, And so he doesn't know them very well, but he has an affection for them because it's someone that he led to Christ, that led them to Christ. And so he wants to let them know, look, I am an apostle, but not because I decided I was an apostle and not because I got voted in, but because God decided, God showed up and wrecked my world on my road to Damascus, changed me and everything I was about and made me an apostle. And I think one of the most interesting things about Paul is that Paul was the Jew of Jews, right? And he was climbing that ladder to be a religious leader. But who, who does Paul end up being an apostle to? The Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Now that's mostly what you have here in Colossae. And so Paul's letting them know who he is. He's giving them his accreditation. I also think it's interesting that he says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He puts that in intentionally because there is this tension of unfaithfulness towards this syncretism like we talked about, of mixing this Gnosticism and Jewish mysticism, all these things into it. But there are faithful brothers. Epaphras has told him, I mean, it's not all bad. There's a lot of really good things happening. Now, what's interesting I love about Colossae is out of all the letters that Paul wrote, of all the cities that Paul wrote a letter to, it's said by many scholars that Colossae is probably the least significant, least important city. Now, the reason I love that is because as I've gotten to know Jacksonville, some people have told me that the west side is one of the least significant parts. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't agree. I think there's a significant part of Jacksonville. And I love to hear this story of faith and hopefulness and amazing stuff that happens in Colossians. To the faithful brothers in Christ Jesus. Fun little fact for you when he says grace to you and peace from God our Father. Um, It's normal at this time when you wrote a letter to say uh, greetings. And the Greek word for greetings is karen. And so Paul changes it in most of the letters he writes from karen to charis, which is grace. And so uh, it's intentional, not only because grace is of God, but it's, a, it's an intentional little tweak on how people would normally write letters at this time. They would normally say, karen to you, 
And he says charis to you. Not just greetings, but grace to you. And peace from God our Father. Alright, so let's go into the thanksgiving and prayer. Verses 3 through 8. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Now this is key to remember. He's going to compliment a lot of things here in this section that he's thankful for. But Paul is clear not to thank the Colossians, but to thank God that works through the Colossians. And so he doesn't say, man, I'm, and he could. And I don't, I don't know, we would even be offended, but I, I think it's this great little nuance here. He doesn't say, man, Colossians, I'm so grateful to hear of your love through the Spirit. I'm so grateful to hear of your faithfulness. I'm so grateful to hear these things. It warms my heart to hear these things about you. Because I'm sure it warms his heart. But Paul recognizes that these things aren't in and of themselves as Colossians, but it's God working through them. Because anything good that God does through us, it's God that does it, right? Now, sometimes we look at people and go, man, if just that guy would become a Christian, man, he could turn the world upside down. Maybe that's possible, but I want to tell you, man, God at no point goes, man, if I can just get this to work out for my favor. Like at no point does God go, man, I've been trying so hard to get that guy on my side. If I could just get him on my side, man, I could do something. God is not in need and God is not in want. God does the work and Paul is quick to thank God for what happens. Now they have a reputation of love. He says, we always thank God. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Verse 4. So their reputation precedes them. They live in such a way that they have a reputation of faith and love. Now here's why I want to point this out. We do know in the Bible it tells us not to do good acts uh, for recognition. We talked about that many of us in our Bible study class this morning. Not to have generosity for recognition. Uh, the Bible says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It, it, there's all these things about not doing things so that people will praise you. But, so this is not saying live in such a way that people praise you. It's saying that if you live in love of Jesus and if you live in faith, man, it's going to affect the way you deal with people and word's going to get out. When you do stuff that's not just normal Christian stuff, like not just the normal do good stuff, but when you do the things that are out there, the things that are wild, when you go out in the middle of the night to help a friend, when you do these things that just don't make sense, that make you stand out from the rest of the world, even if you're not doing it for recognition, word will get out and you will get a reputation. So live in such a way not to make a reputation, but that when people do think of you, when they think of who you really are, that they see Jesus. Now, this takes some things in private because it doesn't matter what you do in public. What you do when no one's looking is who you really are. That's who you really are. And Epaphras has been watching. Epaphras has been living. He's from Colossae. He knows these people. And he's telling Paul, and these people love. They love Jesus and they love other people who love Jesus. And they're faithful. Man, they're faithful. They may, we, we got some things mixing up with some syncretism, but they're faithful, man. They, they love Jesus. And they love you, Paul. They have an affection for Paul. So let's look at love. 
since we heard of your faith, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. What this tells us is love is a fruit of heavenly hope. So this love comes from this hope because we know what's to come. And that's where this love comes from. I've heard some people say that some people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Now, my, my struggle when people say that and they go, I mean, you look at this and you're going to make people so heavenly minded they're of no earthly good. I haven't met many people that are so heavenly minded they're no, of, of no earthly good. Now, I've met plenty of people who are so earthly minded they're of no heavenly good. So I wouldn't worry about being too heavenly minded. I think about it all the time. When things are tough, there's a little word I say over and over in my mind, Maranatha. Everybody say Maranatha. It's it's Greek and it means come quickly, Lord. Come quickly. I see the brokenness. I see, we talked in prayer meeting this Wednesday about the mudslides and about the the plane crashes and and all these things. And, And when I hear those things, I just think, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. Relieve us. Come quickly. It makes me not scared of death. It makes me not scared of living. Because I go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm working towards something in the future. I have a hope. I have a hope of what's to come. When things are horrible here, I have a hope. To be honest... When I got saved in college, it was the first moment I ever really knew hope. When things were hard, I didn't know what to do. There's nothing to hope in, so you just go hide in other stuff. But when you have hope in Jesus, it creates a love in you. Love is a fruit of hope. Love is a fruit of the gospel. Read in verse 5, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, The gospel. The gospel, as we've said in here before, is the good news of Jesus Christ. The word gospel, as we've said in here before, is a military term. When when troops would go off to battle and they would win the battle, they wanted to send someone back to tell everybody that they won. And so they sent back what they called eongelion. An evangelist. They sent back an evangelist. And that evangelist would get on his horse and he'd ride as fast as he could back into town. And he would herald the gospel in that town. He would herald the good news of victory. He would go back into that town and he would tell everybody we won. This is why we use this word gospel good news. And he says the hope that you have is in the gospel. Love is a fruit of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. And we're going to get a little more into that in a minute. Verses 6 and 7. Which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love of the Spirit. 6, 7, and 8. Growth and obedience are a fruit of of love and obedience. I, you may go, obedience is there twice. That's on purpose. Obedience begets obedience. 
But where we can get messed up here is we go, all right, so this is what Christianity is. It's being obedient. Being a good boy or being a good girl, following in line, doing what you're told. And I don't want you to hear that. I don't want you to catch that message because that's not the message being taught here. The obedience is fruit of love. What he says as we continue in 9 through 14, we're going to talk about sanctification in verses 9 through 14. The word sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. That's a big fancy word. I love this definition by Tullian Chavidian. He's a guy in South Florida. He's the uh, grandson of Billy Graham, and he's the pastor of Coral Ridge in, in South Florida. Sanctification is simply getting used to your justification. So what is justification? Justification is what Christ did on the cross. We screwed up everything. We have no hope to stand before a perfect and holy God. We have a price to pay on our head. The Bible tells us that our sin, our wrongdoing, has caused us to have a debt on us. A debt on our shoulders that's too large for us to pay to God. And that debt is our life. It's our blood. It's our death. And that's, that's horrible news. But the good news is that Jesus does love us, and he doesn't just desire that we be good boys and girls. He desired that we fall in love with him, and so out of his love, he took that price. He paid that for us. I want to read 9 to 14 to you, because it blows my mind. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When you understand this, when you grasp this as the gospel, it will result in love, and that love will result in obedience. But we so often try to get the cart before the horse and just do obedience by itself out of our own will. As a matter of fact, you'll hear a lot of sermons and read a lot of Christian books that talk about how you can have a better life and talk about how you can experience blessings now and talk about how you can do this. The problem with that is it's all focused on you. And you will fail you. If you put your hope of your life in you and you say, I'm going to do me, I'm going to take care of how I'm going to do things, and I'm not worried about what everybody else does, it will fail you over and over again. But it's when we turn our eyes to Jesus, when we have the fullness of knowledge of Him, and we realize that He rescued us from darkness, and not just rescued us from darkness, because that in and of itself would be amazing, wouldn't it? But He doesn't just rescue us from darkness. He rescues us from darkness and puts us in inheritance. This blows my mind every time I really think about it. We talked about it another Wednesday night. Where I, here's how the way I like to say it. The greatness, now follow me, I should have put this on the screen because it's a hard statement to follow. The greatness of the offense is not judged off the offense, 
put off the greatness of the one offended. Now, here, here's, here's, here's what I mean. You go, okay, that's a great religious statement. No, we, we, we live this way. We do this. All right, so say, say I go to Sonny's after this for lunch, and I go over there, and I get me some all-you-can-eat ribs, and they bring me my first plate of ribs, and I eat them, and I keep eating them. I'm a big old boy. I eat a lot of ribs. So I eat so many ribs at Sonny's, they, they finally they cut me off. They go, man, man you're done. Can't, you can't eat anymore. And I go, no, you said it was all you can eat. And they're like, well, yeah, you ate enough for 12 people, sir. We, we, can't, we can't feed you any more ribs. And, and so we get in this argument, and I'm like, no, no, you said all you can eat. And they start yelling at me, I start yelling at them. I get mad, I punch the, the waiter in the face. This didn't happen, hypothetical story. Uh, so say that happens, right? I'm probably going to end up getting some handcuffs on me, right? Yeah? Okay. But realistically, it may, not, it may not be that big of a deal. It may be two or three days in lockup, and I may get out. That could happen. Depends on whether they press charges or not. So say they don't press charges, and so I just spend a little bit of time. But they don't press charges. As I'm getting out, the guard mouths off to me. Says something I don't like. Calls me fat. I'm like, what? So I punch the guard in the face. Now we're in trouble, right? Now we're in real trouble. Now, I always like to take this even further just so we can really fully acknowledge this. And this is where the story starts to get a little goofy. But it, the, the analogy works here. All right, so say so then I'm, I'm on trial for punching the guard. And you know prison's not going to be good for me if you punch a guard. So then you keep going, and I, I stand before the judge. The judge marks off at me. Now I punch the judge in the face. Well, now I'm getting in real trouble, Right? This becomes a whole national media deal. This is getting ridiculous, I know. But this becomes a whole national media deal. Somehow this lands me before the President of the United States. And while talking to the President, the President of the United States bows off and says something I don't like. So I go, I go to swing at the President of the United States. Now what do you think is going to happen? I'm going to get shot before my fist even makes his face, aren't I? Like as I do this, there's a sniper already trained on me. I'm dead, Right? Say for some way I'm able to escape the sniper, I punch the President of the United States. I'm going, I'm getting buried under Guantanamo. They're going to try out new torture tactics on me, right? Like, it's going to get bad, isn't it? Now, here's what I want you to catch with that funny story. My action was the same with every single person, wasn't it? I punched them. Now, the first person, a couple days in lockup, gets a little worse as it goes. Not because my offense was any greater but because who my offense was against. Does that make sense? Now here's what I'm saying about that. If God is God, right? If God is God, any offense against God is huge, isn't it? When we start to think about it like that, I think sometimes we go, man, I don't deserve all this punishment, all this wrath. If God is God, we deserve whatever he wants to throw at us for our offenses against him. Don't we? That's not good news. That's why this passage blows my mind. Because we deserve for him to throw whatever he wants at us. And he doesn't, listen, he doesn't just forgive us. Because that would be crazy, wouldn't it? What if when I punch the president, he goes, hey, 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 no, no, no. It's okay, man. I forgive him. That'd be huge national media, wouldn't it? They might even think he was stupid for doing it. 
They think, man, he punched a judge, a guard, a waitress. This guy's crazy. It would be unfair and unjust of him to forgive me. The president for punching him. Now, God's way bigger, way more important than the president, isn't he? Our offense against him is so much greater. And he doesn't just forgive. It says it here, it says it in Romans 8, that we get to inherit his kingdom. This is what it means to be heavenly minded. To realize I deserve whatever he wants to throw at me, yet out of his grace and mercy, not out of my goodness, not out of my obedience, not out of anything that I'm worth, but out of his love and out of his grace, I get to be with him forever. That's good news, people. That is good, amazing news. So what do we do? We have to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. Real quick, turn to Romans with me. It's just a couple of books before this. And I'm almost done. Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite chapter in all the Bible. Verses 5 through 11 I'm going to read to you. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, in the Spirit... Of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We could keep on going on and on and on in that chapter. What we see here in Colossians is that His grace is amazing. I want to read you the last part up to verse 20. Because if the greatness of the offense is based off of the greatness of the one offended, here's what the Bible has to say about who Jesus is. Starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul has this to say to the Colossians. Don't mix in Gnosticism, Jewish mysticism, or any of the things of this world. Jesus created all things and all things were created For Jesus, 
by Jesus. He's above all things. He holds all things together. He's preeminent to all things. He holds the universe in His hands. He knows the names of every star out there. We can't even look with all our technology barely beyond our own galaxy. We, we can look about this far into the universe and it blows our scientists' mind. They don't know what all is out there. He knows the name of every single star. You want to talk about greatness? Jesus is great. And when we recognize how great He is, not how great the church is, not how great our preacher is, not how great anything else, but Jesus. When we recognize how great Jesus is, and we recognize our offense against Him, and then we see His grace in that, it ought to blow your mind. It ought to blow your mind. Tulian Chavidian, the guy I quoted from earlier, has a book that I love. Just the title of the book. The book's good, but I love the title. It says everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You don't have to add anything. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to add a thing. My prayer for you, like Paul prays for the Colossians, is that you will grow in fullness of knowledge of the gospel and of Jesus. It's not that you will be obedient. It's not that you will even... It's not, not, it's not even my prayer that you will tithe. A lot of people think that's all preachers think about. It's not my prayer that you tithe. It's not my prayer that you do anything but... Get to know Jesus more and fall more in love with Him. That's what I pray for you often. That you'll fall more in love with Jesus. Because when you fall in love with Jesus, it just changes the way you see everything. And then you'll do obedience, not, not begrudgingly, not because you feel like you have to. You'll be obedient because you're in love with Jesus and you want to. That's what you need to do. You don't need to go out of here and try harder. You don't need to go out of here and go, I'm going to be a better Christian. You don't need to go out of here and go, I'm going to tithe more. You don't need to go out of here and go, I'm going to work harder. You need to go out of here and go, I'm going to search for more of Jesus. I'm going to see Him in everything because the Bible tells me that all things were created for Him. This is what you need to do. This is what Paul tells the Colossians. He says, don't just to remove Gnosticism and syncretism and all these other things out of your faith because they're wrong. Remove them because they're not as good as Jesus. I'm going to pray and Robert's going to come up here and lead us in a time of invitation. A couple of ways you can respond. One, if, if you go, you know, I, I, I've never really thought about this whole thing like that. Like to me, this thing was about just being a good person and yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but I've got to be good too. I would love for you to come talk to me and pray with me. I'd love for you to come pray with me. Let, let me just share a little more with you about it. So you can, you can be removed, rescued from darkness and brought into inheritance. Maybe you need to take a step forward and ask to be baptized. Maybe you want to be baptized at the beach today. Maybe you want to join what God's doing here.
at the Hyde Park campus of Hibernia Baptist Church. You want to join the church. Love for you to come talk to me about that. Maybe you just need prayer over something in your life. I'd love to pray over you. But I know all of us can ask for more Jesus from right there in our pew as we sing. So I'm going to pray and we'll have a time of invitation. God, thank you so much for loving us, for, uh, for bringing us peace through your cross. Lord, you are greater than all things. You created all things for you. Well, my prayer is that in this time of invitation, it not just be a routine time to stand and sing, but be a time for us to do business with you. Lord, that we will come to your throne with confidence and receive your mercy and grace. Lord, let your Holy Spirit work in me. In Jesus' name I pray.